Hello everybody and welcome back inside the Shark Tank for hopefully not a penultimate episode of the pod for the season. We are firmly going into post-season mode on this week's pod as uh, we wrap up a pretty impressive regular season for sale, culminating in a 54 points to 12 win over Newcastle to round off the, the season uh, over the weekend and start to look ahead to that first playoff semi-final at home uh, for 17 years against Leicester. So my name is Lewis and joining me this week is my co-host James. James, how are you, how are you feeling after probably the best best regular season for sale since 2006? I mean, it really has been extraordinary and with Leicester losing as well to finish the regular season 10 points clear in second. Mm. I mean, it doesn't feel like two seconds ago that we were bemoaning the form of the side at the beginning of the year. But what's been really heartening is this is the first year that I can remember for a long time, even in the seasons we've done really well, um, where we finished with really good momentum. You know, a few wins on the bounce. Smashing Newcastle at home, okay, you know, the bottom of the table, looking to play for, um, poor side, really. But, you know, you could have forgiven the the sale lads from kind of having their mind on next week, Um, you know, having a mind on, you know, not expending yourself emotionally, physically, um, avoiding injury, you know, these kind of things. And... um, yeah, I mean, I just thought it was a tremendous performance, really, especially conceding early doors, and we just came back and absolutely nailed it. I mean, it really feels like an encapsulation of where both teams are at the moment. Like you said, Newcastle strike first in the first few minutes. Um, and then after that, it was just like, it was like putting them in a vice grip. Do you know what I mean? Where it just kind of felt like a matter of when, not if, the floodgates were going to open. And I think that's a testament, obviously, the way the squad has been built. You know, you look at the two teams on Saturday and where their strengths and weaknesses are. Sale, you know, rolling out, not not not, not even a full-strength team, but the class and the quality, in the, particularly in the front row, uh, and the type five, you just it just shaded anything that Newcastle could offer, and you always got the sense that this was a game for sale to win. Big crowd at home, Newcastle in poor form. Okay, that's not, you know, that's not uh, saying anything too surprising. But I guess James, when we look at where we want to be at the end of the season, the fact that we've gone on to not just win the game against Newcastle, not just win comfortably but really put that Falcons team to the sword and, and score, what was it, seven tries on the day uh, and just just absolutely blow them out of the water. I mean, that that's a testament really to, to the momentum piece that you just spoke about and how important it's going to be as we finish the, the normal season and go into the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, in terms of the fluency of the side, it's it pretty much the most fluent that I can remember this year. Uh, very low error count. Um, with Manu going off and Sam James coming on as well, like you know, it's not really a, a back line that you, you'd back to start in a semi final or final because you do need some go forward. But we were so dominant up front, and our, and our halfbacks had just so much of a free platform. I mean, it really was just they could do pretty much whatever they want. George Ford just controlled proceedings, and uh, yeah, tremendously fluent. You know, when you get a couple of wingers on the on the on the score sheet. 
Um, Sam James getting a double, you 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 know it's uh, pretty free flowing, and you know I think it was a nice way to celebrate. I thought that we talked last time about how much to rotate the side. Do you, do you pick like a completely new team, protect all your best players? Um, do you go full strength? And basically, it was it was close to full strength, but not full strength. There was a couple of nice nice rotations in there. Sam Dugdale getting a start, um, which was actually really nice to see. And you can see someone like him now operating in a side and not weakening it, really, because physically he really brings a level of sort of dominant collision, defence and attack, which just makes you think, OK, well, even if only get 60 minutes out of him, but he's got a good engine as well. Um, you know, also Will Cliff coming off the bench um, was was fab- fantastic to see, really. You know, not seen him much this year due to injury. And just to get that final send-off. Um, but we had also said, you know, look, if, if, if Raphael Gus go down injured, uh, yeah, Cliffy's going to be in the squad, isn't he? They're not going to bring Knight Thomas, I don't think, in for a semi-final or final. So it was actually quite good for Cliffy just to get a few minutes under his belt, just in case kind of thing. Now, there's a couple of question marks. Um, Manu Tulangi um, damaged the webbing in his hand, which really is not ideal. He struggles to catch at the best of times. Um, and uh, Dan Dupria um, as well. Big question marks now over whether... You know he can move forward into an into into a semi final and final um, regarding his fitness. I mean, what was your take on it? On it, Lewis. You know who, who sort of like stood out and caught the eye for you. I think the fact that we had a number of of our younger players who maybe haven't actually kind of kicked on in the way we anticipated this year through injury or form or whatever it is, really kind of step up. I think that was the thing that was most pleasing to me. It was the, the Bevan Rods, right? Who's only sort of started, I think, I think this is his ninth, eighth or ninth start of the season in the, in the Premiership. You know, he's a player who at 22 and, and the way he went last year, I was anticipating him kind of starting every game moving forward. And obviously it's not it's not come to that Simon McIntyre's been in great form. You know, Ewan Ashman, you know, uh, obviously we know he's leaving at the end of the year, but again, similar sort of player who's not maybe been starting that frequently, but again, a little bit of that rotation. He came in at a, at a really solid game. Um, Rafi Quirk, you know, you, you you tell me two years ago that Rafi Quirk will have only started a handful of games this year for sale. I'd be like, well, what's gone wrong? Is he is he broken his leg or something? And actually, he's been kept out of the team by the form that Gus War has been in, who obviously got the got the week off. Um, you know, and and you know, to be to to Rafi's credit, he, he really he sort of sees the opportunity with both hands. Obviously, got to got to try for himself. You know, like like you said, James kind of controlled proceedings extremely well. You just kind of go up and down the lineup, and it's the fact that not only are these are you know quote unquote squad players who are rotating in, but the fact that they are 21, 22, 23. A lot of them have been capped either by England or, or in Ashman's case, Scotland. It's a real testament to kind of where this squad is going and, and how how much depth we've been able to build, which obviously becomes very important when you're playing in the playoffs. And I also wanted to give a quick shout out to James Harper, similar vein, just not seen him you know much at all this year, uh, at least at, at, uh, at premiership level. He came on for 20, 20 minutes, whatever it was, puts a big fend in, you know, thought he was going to go 30 metres, obviously decided against that pretty quickly. But, you know, it's good to see him kind of coming into the game and making an impact. Uh, Ethan Kane, you know, got a got an appearance off the bench. Again, a player who 
you know, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about the hooker position, what kind of happens, you know, with uh, with Ashman moving on. That's a player who's obviously ready for uh, for first team reps. It was just really, really encouraging to see that even when you, you know we were rotating or choosing to rotate ever so slightly, we were still able to um, not just bring in quality rotation, uh, sorry, quality squad players into the rotation. We were bringing in England internationals who were also happen to be twenty two years old. It's a really, it's a really good position to be in. Um, who caught your eye then, James? Because I mean, we could go one to fifteen. Um, <laughs> just name the whole team. Yeah, but who, who, who else? Who else sort of stood well, out? I'll, for you? I'll let you get your head around three word reviews. Um, we'll come back to that in a second. But I just want to d- double on the James Harper front. Like he's someone with a huge amount of promise. Uh, always going to be question marks over his fitness at this level, and you know, just his sheer size. You know, in, in the modern game, <clears throat> both with you know how he can get around the park. Uh, but also just picking up those injuries. And that's been the worrying thing to the start of James Harper's injury uh, uh, career, that he's been picking up some injuries. He hasn't been able to get a run of game time, uh, whether that's for Sale FC or the Sharks. Um, I thought what was super impressive was his his work in the scrum, you know, and and and, and actually, you know, let's hope, of course, um, that, you know, we have our first choice tight heads available for the semi-final and final. But it's pretty warming that you can bring Harper off the bench for a 20-minute stint and just say, so that's all you got to do, mate. That's all you got to do. Um, and he, he just do the sheer weight, right? You get someone like Johnny Hill locked in behind him at five. And and, and Simon McIntyre coming off the bench as well. It really doesn't matter who's coming off the bench as hooker, but let's say it's Tommy Taylor. You know, that, there's not many There's not many front rows just with that sheer weight coming through. Um, so I think that that bodes well because a lot of games in semi-finals and finals are won in that final 20 minutes. And so I think that Sale have got a good setup there. Um, of course, all the all the normal lot, but I thought Josh Beaumont also stood up well. It was good to see him back at eight as well. Uh, you know, so we just saw him just a little bit more prominent around the park than maybe we have done for a long time. Um, so it was really nice to see him getting a, getting a run at eight. I've mentioned Sam Dovedale and... You know, I'll, I'll I'll sort of you know do, double down. I think on uh, on uh, <clears throat> on Ruffy Quirk as well, because it's been a really tough eighteen months. I'd say since Ruffy Quirk. You know, he got called up for the England squad in the twenty two Six Nations, um, and everyone was saying he's going to be the next big thing. He basically, you know, he got injured in camp and and was never the same when he first came back. Um, and then he struggled with injury since. And his form when he has come back into the side, you know, and he had did have one of two or three games when he was properly back fit, um, but just couldn't dislodge Gus from the side. You know, he came in, he didn't show the form that was required. Um, his, his his game management and especially his box kick, box kicking was wasn't good enough. You know, his pass off his off his left hand not in the same league as Gus. Gus's distribution is fantastic. What we've seen from Rafi actually, not just in this game. But over the last maybe two or three games, because he's had a he's had a really game changing impact off the bench, and I think he's really reintroduced himself to the Premiership over the last few weeks. And I think his ceiling remains where it was. He just needs to stay fit and humble. I think that that's been the key thing for him. I think he probably had almost two meteoric uh, meteoric rise, if that makes sense. Not saying he got like over arrogant or anything like that. But he just missed out maybe a few steps <laughs> of development, both mentally and physically and uh, technically, that you kind that, that is needed really to sustain your position at the top level sport. 
and and seeing what Gus can do, you know, with the commitment that he has had, and you know, the sheer effort and the energy and the personality he's had on the pitch, I think it's probably been a good lesson for Rafi. You know how you can really impose yourself as a scrum half in very different, in many different ways, and we've seen that all the way through history. Different, completely different types of scrum halves. You know, some of you know they're not always the flashy Rafi Quirk, Fafta Kirk types are the best in the world, right? Sometimes you end up with the, you know, the Fruit de Pri and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, even the likes of Brian Redpath that we've had in, 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 in this in this club before. Richard Wigglesworth, you can be a different type of scrum off. So he can afford to broaden his horizons. I thought he was absolutely excellent. And, of course, it goes without saying, you know, I thought actually um, Jean-Luc, um, you know, I thought Kunu Stasen's actually found probably his best form in the last few couple of weeks, at least for sale. Uh, we haven't really. It might sound absolutely horrible, but I think considering the amount of caps he's got for South Africa, and the, you know, when we signed him, I thought it was to be out and out first choice tight head. Um, he, I think he's he's been quite fortunate in his time at Sale really to keep first or second choice. Like I don't think he's shown the form last couple of weeks. I thought he's been excellent. Um, you know, he, he really done the basics well, massive engine. So yeah, look, I thought I thought it was a really good performance from a number of the lads, but overall it was a good team performance and occasion as well. Um, you know, a couple of my family were there and they just said it had a real celebratory atmosphere. I think what we need to do now is get our head heads back on. I like Alex Anderson's um interview at the end of the game, you know, heads back on now. We we these opportunities don't come around that often because even when you're a really, really top side, unless you are literally Saracens, we look at Exeter, like maintaining yourself in the top four year after year is genuinely very difficult. Every side go through ebbs and flows for a variety of different reasons. We have a chance. We can beat Saracens on our day at Twickenham. And we, sh- you know, I'm at home against the champions in the semi final, gives us a one off chance there. So heads back on. But over to you for three words reviews. Yeah, well, obviously. Everyone's very effusive in their praise this week, as you'd expect. Uh, Alex Everington, playoff ready. I think we really saw that with with how that that one to twenty three worked on on Saturday, which I'll I'll come back to. Uh, Nicholas Waite, two more games. Um, Robin S, spiral bomb supremes. We'll touch upon that in a little bit as well. Fraser Cornwell prepared for semi. Uh, Nick Sharks in control. Mark Thomas, pretty stuff that. Uh, Gareth, we have momentum. Lexity, let's hunt tigers. And then this one that I wanted to give special mention to, because I didn't realise it at the time, it comes from Lewis Medlock, who highlighted that every try scorer for sale this this uh, this week was a, was an academy player. So all academy scorers. I was like, that can't be right. And they go and check, and, and lo and behold, Roebuck, two for Sam James, Ben Curry, Bevan Rod, Rafi Quirk, a penalty try, which, yeah, we can count that one, and Aaron Reid. Um so let's, let's just talk a little bit about that Newcastle game and, and maybe kind of the, the clues in terms of where the team is going before we, we preview that semi-final next week. Um, James, one of the things I wanted to kind of touch upon, you kind of mentioned it there, is the impact that some of these younger players have coming off the bench. Like you said, the weight that James Harper and Simon McIntyre were able to add to the scrum. Um, you know, Rafi Quirk coming off the bench, 20, 25 minutes, tired legs. You know, obviously scored a, a pretty opportunistic try. You know, these are the sort of things where you can start to stretch a game. Um, and then obviously you have in, interspersed with that, the kind of control that you saw from, from nine and 10 and, and George Ford in particular. 
I mean, what, what, what impressed you the most out of this result? Because, you know, like I said, we've, we've already gone 1-23 and, and said everyone had a great game. But this was a team effort, to your point. And, and, and given how well we sort of controlled the game against Newcastle, what, what stood out the most for you in that regard? Well, I think there's sort of three things. What, what, the first is, is that we, we just get the basics right. You know, with real focus and Alex Anderson calls it pride in the basics. Um, and that's something that sort of perennially has frustrated us at Sale. We've, we've often had the physicality and the effort, but maybe not the pride in the basics, you know, where you're really focusing and able to concentrate at high levels of pressure, or high levels of fatigue to execute. And those prior and the basics allow us to execute and score that many tries, um, you know, without it breaking down before them. The right decision is made, etc. <clears throat> the second is that we do have levels of physicality that on our day, no other team can deal with. It was something that was a bit depowered maybe last season um, in comparison to what we've been used to. But it's back in full force this year. I don't think there's many teams that can stand up to it when we can get the right players on the pitch at the right time. And I, I think that physicality is using it wisely. It's dominant hits in um, defence, but not giving away too many penalties. And then in attack, <clears throat> it's actually not always just trying to run over the player. You know, it's actually trying, yes, earning the right to go wide, but, you know, trying to create opportunities um, when we can. And then the third is just game management, right? And we've been bringing at it all year. And I think that Rob Dupree and Gus Ward deserve all of the plaudits that they're hopefully going to get this year because they've been absolutely off the charts compared to, not just compared to expectation, but just compared to any other challenges uh, in the Premiership in the most in the most part. But this Newcastle game specifically, we saw what George Ford can do as a 10. And... You know, we were. I've been a bit not critical, but questioning that commitment that the coaching staff made about seven or eight weeks ago. Maybe it was about eight weeks ago, where they were like, "Right, we're just committing to this." Ford at ten, Rob Dupree at thirteen. End of. Sam James has had the best season he's had in about five years. Uh, continues to be absolutely outstanding, by the way. I mean, absolutely extraordinary season from Sam James, but they've just stuck to it. And it actually has started to bear fruition, especially in the last two weeks, where you're actually starting to see... I still think Rob Dupree defensively is going to be a massive... It's a weak point for us going into the semi-final final. We just have to accept that. But having those two in the side allow us to control the game with the boot. Um, you know, and, and also in terms of Rob Dupree stepping in at first receiver, distributing the ball. We don't lose any structure if George Ford is out of position. You know, Defensively, you can drop George into the backfield. And actually, then still have a, basically a ten in the front line for turnover ball, um, which I think makes a really big difference. Uh, but George Ford, just to finish this game management point, we saw the pressure that he put the back three of Newcastle under. You know, his first touch of the ball was a spiral kick, one bounce into touch for a fifty twenty two, uh, and and then his his spiral bombs were just. I mean, you know, no, no other player has perfected it in the way that George Ford has. Um, you know, it's pretty much a, his invention, really. Um, and it, it really is, you know, it could be a, especially in the pressure could go a semi-final and final. I just hope we don't over-deploy it, is my only point. Um, but I think that it's very worst if you're using it in that sort of middle part of the pitch. 
is very, you're not kicking the ball away like we've seen a lot in rugby over the years, where you can actually, if you kick it to a Charles Piatow, he's rip you apart. But this, the, you know, if you've caught the, caught the spiral bob, you've done well. You, you're not thinking about attacking on the narrow side straight afterwards. All you can think about is catching it and hopefully not getting turned over, basically, or knocking it on or whatever. So they're the, th- they're the three areas um, that I think if we execute that in the same ways we did against Newcastle in the same final final, we're, we're going to be difficult to, to, to beat and we've got a real chance of winning the Premiership. Um, but, you know, as always, so much comes down to how you manage the pressure and also having a bit of luck as well. And so there's, there's still a bit of the unknown in those two regards. No, absolutely. Um, it feels like we we probably can't escape this this playoff chat. Like everything we come back to. I mean, I, I guess maybe maybe one final thought on 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 the season for Newcastle. Who you know they had nothing to play for. I thought they gave a good a good show of themselves. You know, they actually shaded territory and shaded possession, but obviously Sale just too big, too quick, too strong, too deep on the day. I think that was that was. A, a really clear sign about where we are as two respected teams in terms of who we were able to bring off the bench and what impact that made. Um, and I guess, I guess, James, the question for you is um, obviously Sale finished second, um, ten points clear of third, like like you mentioned. Obviously Newcastle rock bottom. Any, any thoughts on kind of how the the final table sort of shook out before we go on to uh, you know looking at, into the playoffs? Yeah, good point. I mean, I suppose we'll do a deeper dive in the, in the season review. But for Newcastle, no wonder what they want to merge as a team with us as a, <laughs> you know, under the banner of the North. Um, but no, in all seriousness, we we you know we we know how fragile rugby is in the North, and and if we wasn't for our ownership, we'd be in exactly the same position as Newcastle. I mean, we must all always keep our feet on the ground. You know, we're always talking about oh, we need a. We can't trust Gus War. We need to go to market for an international um, scrum half. Oh, well, you know, we're, we're not sure about Ethan Kane or whatever. We need to go to market for an international, you know, hooker. Um, <clears throat> you know, but the thing is, is that you know, money doesn't grow on trees. Uh, thankfully, there is a salary cap that I think is coming back down towards what it should be to, for a sustainable game in 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 England. It's just that the rest of the game is mismanaged and in a shambles. It's not. Let's not try and blame the salary cap. You know, it's a symptom, not the cause. Um, but in any case, um, you know, you look at that table. Newcastle then adrift in final place. You know, the likes of Bath and Bristol had an awful start to the season and actually came through and finished really, really strongly. Um, Bath actually getting into a Champions Cup spot. I mean, let's not talk about how horrific it is that eight out of eleven sides go into the Champions Cup. But you know, for Bath to make it into the Champions Cup, what what a turnaround! And I think that watch out for them next season. Not not necessarily to win the league, but you know, sort of do maybe what Leicester did last season. You know, and the season well, certainly the season before when Leicester finished, you know, sort of fifth, and they would have got relegated the year before. I won't be surprised to see Bath re-enter the top six next year. Um, so they've they've found a little bit of form. Big shout out for London Irish. You know we don't know what's happening there. Hopefully we don't end up with another Watson and Worcester situation because it's got all the same like you know background to it really, which is you know investors that don't want to we're trying to drive as low a bargain as possible, uh, race to the bottom, and a, and a current ownership who feel a responsibility, but um, 
you know, want to get out. <laughs> don't want to lose any more, any more millions, which you can perfectly understand. So it's, it's, it's a recipe for disaster, what's happening at Irish. But their season on the field has been extraordinary. Um, and, uh, you know, they finished fifth in the end. Uh, couldn't quite get over the line for top four. But, they, they, you know, a lot of Irish players will find themselves in sort of premiership team of the season. You know, Van Rensburg in the centre, fantastic. Pearson in the back row, absolutely extraordinary. Um, you know, Gonzalez in the back row as well, brilliant player. Um, you know, so I think I think that they can be really happy. Ben White, they can be really, really happy with their, with their season. And then in terms of the top four, I mean, I wouldn't say that Northampton have been a standout side this year. But they qualified for the top four with a game in hand. Um, and I, I don't think, did they have a bye week this week? I think they they might have had a bye week. So they're going to be like, they're going to be like super fresh. Um, so just, you know, never put it past them. Never put it past them. It's a short journey down to Saracens as well from Northampton. Um, so, you know, it's not like you're traveling down to Exeter or something horrific like that. Um, so I, I think. I think uh, Northampton, you just can't completely write off because attacking-wise, they will score lots of tries. It's just you know, they have a really awful defence. Also, I think one of the, the interesting stats about Northampton was and they've, they've lost to every team in the league this year or something. Is that right? I, I don't know if that's right, but it leads me on to a point that I wanted to, to make about the table, which is actually, now that we're all finished, you, you look at it and do you know how many... It's, oh, I'll give you a little quiz here, James. Do you know how many teams out of the eleven team league have a uh, have a winning record? E.g., they have won more games than they've lost this year. I'll say five. Four. There are four. There are four teams in the league this year. Lo and behold, it is Saracens, Sale, Leicester, and Northampton who have won more games than they've lost. So, really interestingly, uh, London Irish, who finished fifth, have uh, won ten, lost ten. Uh, Harlequins, who finished sixth, have won nine, lost eleven. So they actually lost two more games than they than they won. And then Exeter seventh um, had uh, had won ten, lost ten as well. So they had a five hundred record. But then like Bath eight 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 and twelve, Bristol eight eleven and one, Gloucester seven and thirteen, and, and Newcastle six and fourteen. It's just really interesting in that there's actually uh, now that the season's kind of finished and there's all this talk about oh, seven teams could qualify for the top four, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. What's kind of happened is the, the the cream has kind of risen to the top here a little bit, and the four best teams, which I think you have to acknowledge because there's only four teams who've actually won more games than they've lost this year, are the ones who've who've qualified. And Saints Saints got in on 58 points, uh, Irish got in on uh, on 55 points. But you know, realistically, I, I've I've always been in favour of uh, of win loss records being probably a better indicator of how good sides are versus just total points because. You know, anyone can put sixty points past Newcastle these days by the sounds of it. Yeah. Um, but not everyone can actually you know grind out wins when they need to. So just a really interesting well, stat well, I thought I'd bring up. How many positive points difference? Ter- okay, here we go. In terms of positive points difference, there is uh, Saracens one, Sale two, Tigers three, Saints four. Although their their points difference is only uh, positive nine. Um, and then London Irish five. So, and that's it. So there's five teams with a positive points difference as well. And again, you go speak, you know, we look at Saints and Irish. Okay. Irish have uh, a three points back. 
they've won one fewer game and they've got a points difference of, of 49 points. So you start to get a sense of actually your know, Irish are able to put 30 points, 40 points, 50 points on a couple of teams and that's what's kind of boosted them up. Yeah, really, really, really interesting. <clears throat> and uh, I think goes to show, I think that the, this is probably the weakest season we've had in the Premiership and it's lost two really important brands as well. We've lost two two really important clubs to the league and the league's history. Um, and I think that the, the game in England has never felt more precarious with all the head injury stuff, etc. Um, but for sale, you know, it's still, it's still been a grind. It's still been an absolute grind. Lots of chopping and changing. George Ford making his home debut in May. Yeah, yeah, that uh, was that one caught yeah. my eye. Like, because obviously by now he's played four or five times for sale. But again, it speaks to what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks where there's just been no home games. Yeah, exactly. And then this reports, look, quite strong reports coming out that the preference is for a 10-league premiership next year uh, or for the year after next. And um, I think that that's probably right as a starting position. And so is the cup that we're going to have during the, uh, the Rugby World Cup. But how the season is structured after that and what happens with the championship is 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 so critical that they that there is so much at stake and we still haven't had the report on how it's all going to look, what the funding's going to be like for the championship, how the shares in the premiership is going to work, how bold are they going to be to re to, to to create something new and special, and you know they need to be bold. And if they're doing a 10 seven side premiership, that is bold because it's massively risky. Um, because it means the clubs only get, you know, nine home games a year, which is a massive loss in revenue, right? Um, so, you know, are they going to be bold around this? You know, if they're going to have the cup games, yes, have that during the international period, but let's get it on free to air. Let's get it on free to air. And let's allow the Premiership clubs to play their games at outgrounds, like we said, so that they're full and they're great experiences. Let's focus on the fan experience, right? People will watch it on telly and be like, "Oh, it looks like a really good crack." Let's get down there, you know. And then, you know, then you suddenly get these derbies, like you know, like we talked about, like Sale Colby and Coventry Wasps and things like this, which should be absolutely fantastic, you know. And then if if we can then get. Um, you know, obviously, we try and reduce the number of teams that are qualifying for the Champions Cup. That would be a blow to the Premiership, it would. But you've got to make the Premiership something that's worth doing, yeah? I'd compromise on 6 out of 10, but I think 5 out of 10 is the thing that, that really separates um, the teams. And, and maybe you could, you could, you know, then negotiate with European rugby to say maybe the top two of the Championship could qualify for the Challenge Cup as well or something like that. So even if you make a you know, make a, a relegation promo playoff and you don't get promoted to the Premiership, you still qualify for Europe, that's an extra cup competition. Or so, something, right? Something that's, that's really quite bold, quite creative. And, of course, the biggest thing that I would do, which they're definitely not going to do, is I would split, I would form one company. The Premiership and the Championship should be one company. There should be two tiers of shareholding, Right. Um, and there needs to be lots of legal stuff and financial transactional stuff, which allows for for, for the, that shifting on, you know, people getting relegated and promoting, etc. But the championship funding needs to be a lot bigger. And they need to have a much bigger part of the pie. And okay, they're not going to have European rugby, so they do need to be more than 10 teams, 
there might even need to be at least 12, maybe 13, maybe 14. Um, but, you know, you still end up with the right amount of teams, but you're just focusing, okay, well, let's... And, and, then, and then I would say, okay, promotion and relegation between Premiership and Championship, but let's block up off down to National League One. That's really tough because National League One's got like three or four really good sides. It's, pro- it's, it's the most difficult league in the country because only one goes up, which is brutal, right? And three go down, I think, right? So it, it's a really brutal league. But I would just say, okay, well, look, we're not closing it off forever, but we're going to block it off for a long time, like five years, so that so that clubs in the Championship and Premiership can really do their investment. They've still got the opportunity to get the jersey could be in the Premiership. How amazing would that be? The investment, the infrastructure, etc. Um, and then people can apply basically to join uh, to join the franchises um, of the Championship and Premiership, that one company over time and we get back to a position whether it's either 12 and 12 or 14 and 12 or 14 and 14 like in France. So that's that's that we've gone completely off on a tangent. <laughs> completely off on a tangent there. Um, so sorry to all of our listeners, but um, I, th- I think there is, there is in the, you asked me the question, you know, about the league table and I think everything we've just talked about just shows that it's been a relatively weak year. So what better a year for Sale to win the Premiership, taking down the existing champions, and then taking down, you know, one of the great sides of the era. I mean, that's that's primed us quite quite neatly to, to go into these playoffs. And I guess actually, whilst we're on this topic, one thing I, I, I did want to ask you was you're plotting out your kind of utopian vision for for professional rugby in England. What's your thoughts on an expanded playoffs? Because I know you just said about the ten teams, but the idea is sort of a sort of NFL style. You would basically have. Um, the top six teams qualify. The first two teams get a bye, uh, a concept we're all familiar with by now. You would have third play sixth, fourth play fifth, you then reseed or whatever. The idea being that there is a, uh, some additional playoff games and then there is an incentive um, for, for teams to finish in the top, top first or, or second position. Where do, you, where do you stand on that? Because to your point about six out of ten teams making the Champions Cup, it maybe does leave a bit of a sour taste in the mouth uh, as part of a, a reduced, a reduced premiership. But it's a mm. it's a format that I think is interesting, if nothing else. Uh, I think it works really well in France, but it's a fourteen team league, <clears throat> you know. And I, I think it does work really, really well in France. But sometimes that buy of coming first or second doesn't work out because the, you know you're a bit kind of you know out the game a little bit, and some people can get on, get some momentum, and get a roll on. Um, but no, I, I, in France it works really well with the fourteen team leagues. You've got those top, you know, the top six playoffs, and then you and then you've got the top two that have that buy, and exactly like you described. And then on the bottom two, you have one that goes down, one that goes into playoff against the second seeded team from the Pro De, which also has its playoff system now um, as well. So if you're in the if you come first, then you go you go straight up. But um, then the next four sides basically go into playoffs, so it's the top five almost. Um, so something like that, I think, could work really, really nicely if they're really, really serious about boosting the championship um, and getting their, t- their their game should be on free to air as well. You know, just you know, someone must want to show it somewhere, honestly. But you know, if you've got wasps down there, Shane Worcester couldn't make it. You got some great brands like Jersey and Cornish Pirates and Doncaster and places like this. You know, and then if you, if you did have two game down from the Premiership, I mean, they're never going to do it. 
They're never going to do that. But certainly, I think if you can get back to more... I don't think 10-team league, 10 team league is the end point. I think a 12-team league is the end point again. But the but uh, but the, we need to maybe we have to build it back. We have to build it back, and uh, the way to do that is to have a strong championship. And, and if the championship is strong, going down is less of a problem. And if they have if they're part of the same company, then you, you're all still in it together. And you look at the pro de, you know, sort of, you know, the pro the pro de average attendance is the same as sales. So, you know, and actually some of the teams in the Pro Dug get way more, you know, like when Bayon were in the Pro Dug last year. I mean, look at them now, kind of mid-table in the league above, right? Bayon, one of the great rugby sides, you know, in France. And, uh, you know, they, they, they went down, they, they, you know, if you're into your rugby, you're into your rugby, they're still rocking up 30,000 every week or whatever. So, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it can be done, but it needs some brave decisions, um, you know, because... You, there is a bit. You do have to speculate to accumulate a little bit, um, you know, and, and that doesn't mean taking CVC money and just spending it all like a one-off payment. That's like the opposite of investment. Yeah, what we need here is maybe some more games on free-to-air, maybe even the whole championship, the whole Premiership Cup. That these kind of things. Anyway, should we talk? I want to ask you. Let's move on. Let's move on. Because otherwise we're going to be stuck on this forever. Let's talk about the Leicester game. So, go on. Yeah, yeah. No, I was going to ask you the question. I was going to ask you the question for once. So, so just context setting, Leicester, champions of last year, lots of disruption this year with their, losing their coach halfway through the season, head of the Six Nations. Uh, Wiggy coming in as kind of like a temporary coach, everyone knowing that he's going to be going off to help England in the World Cup. Um, and they've ended the season really, really strongly. I think they they won the last seven before they only just lost man down at the weekend, um, and finished the, you know really healthy third in the end. You know, wh- where do you think Leicester are at mentally going to this game against Sale? Do you think they they think they can win? I mean, a hundred percent. You know, you look at the bones of this team, and you look at the meat on the, the bones as well. Actually, ironically, and this is the same team that won last year except for George Ford right that's the the one kind of key change and it's probably at the most influential position so so the impact of that change is probably a little bit outsized in terms of influence but if you just go down the list this is the team that played last week for example Julian Montoya still there Dan Cole still there you know uh Tommy Rafael Jasper Visa right that's just in the pack you know you look at you look at the back line you know Guy Porter Dan Kelly, you know, Harry Potter, all these kind of players who all came up at the same time and, and were able to kind of uh, fill out what was actually a, a pretty a pretty smartly constructed international roster of players. Um, there's, there's genuine class, there's genuine experience. And I know I've just mentioned that the only major difference is they've lost George Ford. Well, they did replace him with Andre Pollard, who's a World Cup winning fly half. So it's not as if they've had too significant a drop-off. To, to your point, you know, they have experienced um, quite a lot of, of change and a lot of a lot of adversity versus where they were last year. Last year, it was a bit of a Cinderella story, wasn't it? They, they kind of ran away with the league and, you know, everything sort of came good for, came good to them. You know, they, they went, what was it, the first six or seven games of the season unbeaten, whatever it was. And it all kind of, it, it all kind of felt like they were on this kind of march to the, uh, to the tournament. 
uh, to, to winning the tournament, and they did. This year has obviously been a little bit more disruptive. They're victims of their own success. You know, Steve Borthwick moves on. You know, Richard Wigglesworth, who let's not forget, was an important on-field player for them, has had to to retire from playing and, and move up to the coaching box. And obviously, you know, they're going to be moving on. Dan McKellar coming from uh, from the Brumbies in Australia next year. Um, you know, a very well-regarded coach was the uh, was the Australia forwards coach the last couple of seasons under Dave Rennie. You know, there's there's a real sort of mentality around Leicester that the you know the the, the club is back. You know, it's back from where it was. You know, they're out of bankruptcy. You know, they've they've obviously won the title last year. And actually, you know, the reason why I was asking earlier about the final table is, you know, felt like Saracens and Sale kind of ran away with it this year a little bit. Irish and Saints have been, you know, the sort of great entertainers. But Leicester have just been, you know, quietly consistent. And to have done that in a season when um, so much has sort of changed versus for the first time in like three years, Kind of reminds you a little bit of sales a couple of years ago when Diamond left and Alex Anderson came in and that incredible run that they went on, you know, winning 10, 12 games on the bounce. So, look, this is a different Leicester team. Having George Ford at the helm for sale versus uh, versus Leicester is massive. You know, Leicester not having Ellis Genges is massive. And this Leicester team isn't the same one that just marched to the title last year. But this is still a very good Leicester team. The, the the meat and the bones is still there from the team that did win the competition 12 months ago. And they'll probably be looking at this. You know, they've lost... Yes, they lost to Quinns at home at the weekend, but you call that a red card. It was a one-score one loss. They're, they're probably not going to take too much from that. You know, they deserve to, to be in that third position. You know, we just said there's only four teams with a winning record. Like, they deserve to be up there. And... You know, I will write off this Leicester team at my own peril because there is a very good chance that when push comes to shove, this is a Leicester team that have actually been to the mountaintop already and quite recently. Whereas this is a sale team that, yes, they uh, they played in the playoffs two years ago against Exeter, you know, but they got the hides beaten and then they missed the playoffs the subsequent year. This is still a young team for sale, and it's it comes down to to someone like the George Ford, the Johnny Hills who've done who've been there and done it to kind of guide this this young team onto the to next step on the ladder. So this is going to be absolute belter. Like I, I cannot wait for this because you know you go one to 15, one to 23. The um you know the teams match up really well. Like it's going to be a really good game. But I think the thing that that inspires me the most from a sell perspective, we're at home. It's going to be a sellout that's been confirmed. So it's going to be an incredible atmosphere. And actually, Sale have gone really well against Leicester at home in the last couple of seasons. We we were the um, um, in in last year's you know run to, to the title. We were the only team that that consistently gave Leicester trouble, and I think that's going to be that's going to be there. Leicester know they can win this game because of course they can, but if I'm a Sale fan, I'm feeling pretty pretty optimistic. What about yourself, James? I'm definitely, I'm definitely feeling optimistic. You have to be now. Yeah, you, you know, you just you have to get. Everyone has to get themselves in a positive mindset for this. Um, believe you can win, and go out there and execute. If if Sale go out and execute their best game, they'll win the game. Um, you know, Alex Anderson said himself, testosterone levels five percent up uh, at home. Um, that's probably a bit worrying if your name's John O'Ross or someone like that. Um, <laughs> because it just means penalty machine on the way. 
But no, it does give you an advantage. And having a sellout, I mean, just what an amazing, amazing thing. Like first proper sellout. Um, and, you know, I hope that all the money in the world is being spent on, you know, on the fan experience for this game. Because what an amazing opportunity to just say to these people, well, if you lot just come every single time, like this is something forever. The question over Leicester is, you know, their spine of their team is just incredibly strong and arguably stronger than ours. You know, you've got Montoya, okay, there's no Chesham, which is a big loss for Leicester, but Cameron Henderson has massively stepped up in that in that second row, been very, very impressive. But you go Montoya, you go Visa, you go Pollard and Stewart. You know, that is very, very, very strong. I'd say their their spine around nine has been strong. It's what won them the Premiership last year as well. But I'd say that both Ben Youngs and Van Porfleet are relatively low on confidence. Both of them have had a bit of a rough time with England over the past six months um, in the sense that they have been getting selected, but they've kind of been dropped here or there. And, you know, the Hallinger has affected their confidence a, a, a little bit. So I think we, you know, for sale, I think it's, um, you know, we from a from a physical perspective, we need to stop Visa and Pollard on the game line. I know that sounds absolutely ridiculous. I'm saying that we have to stop a ten on the game line, but with Pollard, that's just the way he plays. He takes the ball to the line, yeah. And if if <laughs> if he goes himself, he's one of the most difficult people to tackle on the pitch because he's just massive. Um, and uh, I'd say I put pressure on Pollard to say, let's see your wide passing game. You know, let's, let's see your wide passing game, but you're not coming through us. We're going to nail you. One of the Currys has got to man-mark him. And then the other player is obviously Visa. You know, Visa has to be locked up. Now, Dan Dupree has always gone really well against Visa and made Visa look a bit of a one-trick pony, frankly, when they've played against each other. The issue is, is Dan Dupree going to be even fit? And if he is fit, you know, can he outplay Visa and contain him physically when he's got one arm? Um, so that's a massive selection call there. Um, but clearly, Visa has to be stopped. If Visa gets over the game line, we're in massive trouble. So it gives Ben Young's front football, Pollard front football. You know, you know, there's no Ashton to finish things off, but they've got plenty of talent in that back line. And you know, the, the other thing is, what it does is it puts your defensive line on the back foot, which means for sale, which we're not used to, it means you know, d d dysfunctional around 13, which could then be um, exploited. It means being offside, which we're always on the edge of, right? Uh, it means off our feet, competing for ball. You suddenly start giving away penalties. What does Leicester do? Why the Pollard kicks it literally from everywhere, including the halfway line. Or it kicks it to the corner and Montoya scores a try. I mean, it really isn't rocket science. You know, Leicester will look to play in a very similar way to us, um, they probably will do more box kicking than, than we will. Um, that suits us because Carpenter's excellent under the high ball. Roebuck's excellent under the high ball. O'Flaherty, if he's back, is excellent under the high ball. Um, and all of them have counter-attacking um, responsibilities, uh, which is fantastic. Now, we're going to have to think quite carefully about kicking it to Freddie Stewart. Not because he's just going to cut us open in open field, but because part of our game is about competing for the high ball. And we actually turn it into an attacking opportunity quite quickly. I mean, Robot scored two tries this year, just jumping up, catching the ball and running in. Um, that won't happen with Freddie Stewart. <laughs> he wins everything in the, um, you know, in the air. 
So we, we are going to have to think seriously careful about that. And I think looking at the way Ford was putting up the spiral bomb, but also the spiral kick into the corner, that, I think that's the way to go. That's the way to go. Let, let, let's really push their back three back as far as possible in the early part of the game. And then let's play. Let's play. Play ball in hand. I agree completely. You know, you look at where we've had success against Leicester in the last couple of years, even even this season. It has been a mix of, you know, you go toe-to-toe with them up front. Um, but actually, you look at the, the options we have in our midfield and on our wings. And look, there's some good players from, from a Leicester perspective, but their strength is certainly in the pack. It can be at 9 and 10, and obviously it is at 15, where, like you said, Freddie Freddy Stewart's just like a bomb disposer, right? Um, so that matchup between George Ford and Freddie Stewart is going to be really interesting. Obviously, they know each other very well as well, so there's, there's, there's probably an element there where can we use George Ford's knowledge of Leicester's way of playing you know, against them? Probably. But I think you know the the real opportunity here is, you know, if the Curries are available, their ability to play in the loose and link and link up is going to be massive. Having that grunt in the middle and having a Jean Luc Dupree who has been fantastic this year, basically playing as like a as like a, a fourth back rower, um, his ability to get over the game line, but also score tries and actually stretch defenses has, has really stepped up. He's been he's been probably our best player this season, and then. You know, the the benefit of having played George Ford and Rob Dupree so much together, you've got two kicking options. You know, there's there a bit of familiarity there. You've got some genuine pace on the wing yeah, in Reed or, or Flaggerty. You've got power and you've got a nice all uh, in Roebuck and you've got a nice all round game in that, uh, in, in Joe Carpenter as well. I guess the only thing that I'm concerned about is what happens if Manu Tuolangi's not fit because he's had a good run of games for us at 12. And actually, it's probably the area where we are lightest. And what happens if Dan Dupria or Tom Curry aren't available? So I guess James, maybe, you know, how, how do you answer those questions? If, if Tulangi isn't fit, what's the what what is the play at, at twelve? Well, Plan B so far in twenty twenty three has been Ryan Mills. <clears throat> Issue with that is we've just announced he's leaving, which we'll get on and talk about those levers in a second. Um, but I do think that changes things significantly. He's not playing for a contract. Um, it's not like he's got a huge affinity with the club. Um, so, and, and you know, the player that we would want to play there, Doherty's not played all year. He's back fully training. He's fully fit. But I think it's too much to throw him into a semi-final for us. No, after such a serious injury. So I think where they honestly, where they're, they'd end up probably is is picking, uh, is probably bringing Sam James in. I mean, Rob DePere at 12, Sam James at 13. Um, I think, you know, that, 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 doesn't strike me as a cup winning, uh, sorry, a, a premiership winning duo. Um, but it sounds that Manu will be fit. <clears throat> you know, it's a web injury. It's not not like too serious. It's annoying. It's painful. But they will just strap him up, won't they? And all he has to do, I mean, we're not asking, he, he doesn't pass anyway. So we're not as, as if we're asking him to do too much with his hands. Just use your arms, catch the ball. Get over the game line. Also, with Manu, his, his, you know, we use him very effectively as a decoy. So, just having him on the pitch helps bring that structure. But I suppose what it does do is it opens up the option, having seen this weekend, of bringing Sam James off the bench, not just for Rob, but for, for Manu. Um, and, you know, if the weather is okay, 
um, you know, this time of the year, actually opening up a little bit, bringing someone like Reed off the bench as well, it could be really impactful. In terms of Dan Dupria, you know, I think I think we know what the answer to that be. We'll go with Jono at eight and the two Curries. And Jono's been probably in the best form he's been for a while, actually. Um, he's been really fantastic. He wants to finish his career on the high. I, I, I do think there's a big question mark over Dan Dupria playing. I think it's a massive problem because if he goes down injured in the first minute, you lose, you know, one of those big impact situations. And it probably, you saw that the bench this time sort of going with a 5-2 split was the original selection. You kind of tempted to do that again if you're going with Dan Dupree. And I'm not sure that's the right approach, especially if you're also worried about Manu. So um, it's, it's, it's a big worry. It honestly is a big, big worry. Um, on that one, um, it would be a risk to select him. I think they will. I think they will select him, um, but it is a big risk. In terms of Tom Curry, I think he is going to be fit. Um, you know, and, and going double Curry is is the best option for this club moving forwards. Anyway, um, you know that's a big question mark. Then you know when you basically got two Dupreys and two Curries for three positions when everyone's fit. You know, almost as if. Visa's injury has made it easier to make the selection, really. Uh, I mean, ironically, you know, well, yeah, I mean, but obviously if Dan Dupree is struggling, you know, actually, as long as one of them is injured, you don't have a selection problem. But if everyone was fit, you know, uh, and Ben Curry's the captain, <laughs> then you, you're like, hmm, where do we go here? And by the way, Ben Curry, absolutely outstanding again at the weekend. I mean, you take that England game against Scotland out of the equation, which I didn't think you'd do badly for a first cap, by the way. Not only people come off alive after a first cap, um, but uh, take that out of the equation. And he he is he's been the best seven in the league. You know, everyone's talking about Pearce and all the rest of it. Yeah, but he's not been tested at the highest level. And he's in a team that's finished fifth. Ben Curry's just captain us to easy in second. He's easily the best seven in the country at the moment. Right. You, you, you made a good point. There is a lot of personnel stuff we still need to get on to. So yeah. I don't think I want to talk about this game anymore. I'm too excited as it is. Uh, it's going to be yeah. an incredible encounter. It's going to be an incredible atmosphere as well for, for those of you who are lucky enough to get a ticket to a sold-out AJ Bell Stadium. So, James, this is, this is the million-dollar question. Uh, what is your score prediction? Uh, will Sale be going to Twickenham in, uh, in 2023? I, look, I, I've got to go the same. You just look at that Leicester form, uh, sorry, that form against Leicester last couple of years. We, we've been one of the few teams who were able to, were able to score points on them. We've beaten 40 points to five, you know, at the back end of 2022. I think it's going to be close, but I think Sale should have enough to get over the line, particularly in front of, uh, in front of a home crowd. So I'm going Sale 31, Leicester 23. Um, well, hopefully we'll be back next week to talk about our trip to, to Twickenham. But before we before we move on for the week, there is a, a number of, of uh, movers and levers that we do want to make sure we, we get across. And I guess actually, since we um, you know since we last spoke, there's actually been uh, a, a fair bit of movement uh, around sales ahead of next season. So maybe we start actually with the uh, with the announcement of an incoming player, which is uh, Sale have signed Ernst van Ryan. From the uh, the Stormers in the URC, uh, he will be joining uh, on a multi-year contract from from next season. Now, Ernst, for, for those of you who don't know, former former South African schoolboys, never particularly got close to 
um, Springbok contention so far. He is only 25, so there is still time. Um, but kind of strikes me, I don't know, James, this strikes me as a bit of a Cobus Visa signing, you know, uh, highly touted. You know, he's, he's got a, a, a number of seasons under his belt, the Stormers, can play uh, both lock and, uh, and as a flanker. Um, it, it does feel a bit like Cobus Visa 2.0, and obviously we, we've seen how well that's gone for, for sale over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the difference here is that Visa maybe, you know, being a bit younger, had the ability to play at six, but was always going to end up as second row. I think Van Ryan actually has the power to play in the second row, um, but probably doesn't quite have the height um, <clears throat> to be a kind of like springbok. Yeah, um, six foot, six foot four and a half, according to his Wikipedia okay, yeah, so, page. So, so. But maybe, yeah, he's he's there or thereabouts, but maybe not quite got the height for an international second row. But you know, for kind of you know, away at Gloucester in January, it'll be fine. I think his best position is going to be six. You know, he is really the John O'Ross replacement. Um, so, I mean, I think that that, that that will clearly show that, you know, our, our kind of eight coverage is, starts with Van Dupree, goes Jean-Luc Dupree, Josh Beaumont, you know, rather than the John O'Ross cover. Uh, maybe Tom Curry as well can play in that position. But, yeah, Ernst Van Ryan is definitely a, a, a six. Um, and, you know, he does a lot of the hard carrying. He's very mobile. He's very abrasive, very strong, really strong, very powerful guy. Uh, I think he's an excellent signing for sale. I really do. I'm actually really excited about this signing. Um, it's exactly the right thing. You know, we've for a long time said we were signing too many Saffers, uh, but actually there's been quite a lot of outgoings of Saffers with John O'Leaven as well. That's a big, you know, a big kind of presence in the club. And I think actually to maintain the balance that we've currently got with the three Dupreas and Visa there and Aka. Maybe you need just, you know, one more um, just to add back into the mix and keep that sort of balance between the between the two. So, no, very good signing. Very happy with it. I think the idea of him being a John O'Ross replacement is a, is a really nice bit of analysis there because you are right, you know, Predominantly a six, you know, Visa's full time in the second row. You know, in theory, you could you could shift Van Ryan out to, to eight in a pinch if needs be. And, and obviously the game is a little bit different up here as well. Like I was very keen to see Cobas Visa at six, because that was the position he played for the Stormers back in South Africa. But he's not really kind of touched upon that since, you know, in his three years at sale. He's kind of always moved. Same with Jean-Luc Dupria, another player who's been able to, to move forward into the second into the second row when he'd never played there before. But it is interesting, like you said, it just gives you a little bit of Dan Dupree insurance, you know, uh, particularly if you want to keep playing Jean-Luc in the second row. There's ways of sort of moving it around. And like you said, you know, if you just think of him as a north-south number six, I think that's a really nice piece of the puzzle to add, particularly with the news that John O'Ross is retiring. And we've, we've got to talk levers. And, you know, we, we spoke about Ewan Ashman a couple of weeks ago. We spoke about Will Cliff. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, but since then there's been a number of players who, who've uh, who've been announced as either retiring or or leaving uh, the club at the end of the season. So James, I'm just going to re- I'm going to go down this list um, and just read them all out. We'll just touch upon each, you know, very briefly because there's quite a few. Um, Byron McGuigan announces retiring. John O'Ross announces retiring. Uh, Don Barrow uh, released. Uh, ben Carlisle released. Uh, Elliot Gurley released. Uh, Sam Hill. Uh, released, Ryan Mills released, Matt Postlethwaite released, Kieran Wilkinson released, and Jason Woodward released. Um, well, that's probably go lightning round here, James. But um, 
let's let's start with Brian McGuigan, you know, servant of the club for five, six seasons. Uh, you know, he's gonna take on a, a backroom coaching role. Your your quick thoughts on on him? I think, you know, versus the talent he's actually got, and this is not a criticism, he's been exceptional for this club, you know, and to to play as many times as he did for Scotland. <coughs> you know, he's kind of a couple of seasons ago, I think he reached his absolute peak. Um always gave everything he's had. I think he just Started picking up some injuries, lost his top end speed, you know, any sort of top end speed there. And but you know, I, I, you know, especially in that diamond era, I mean, he's another great diamond signing for this club. And I'm really pleased he's sticking around. Um, you know, from all intents and purposes, he's he's got all the makings of a really good coach. Um, you know, coming through the system, it keeps with this theme of keeping people on who are interested in coaching, got a bit of talent in that area. So no. If, just a huge thank you to for Byron for everything he's given us to the, to the club, and I'm really pleased he's sticking around. Massive part of that pincer defence a few years ago. Loved an intercept try. Did the, did the loved last... loved it. Couldn't get enough of an intercept yeah. try. All right, uh, with you know, the odd red card as well. With your and yeah, with your judo throw, um, we'll, we'll maybe come on to John Ross at the end because that that's one's going to be a bit more poignant, I think. Um, Don Barrow released, probably not a massive surprise there. James? No, worth the punt. Hasn't worked. Yep. Uh, ben Carlisle, this is one that I did want to uh, pause on very briefly. I was uh, a little bit surprised to see this. You know, a, a player who was brought over from uh, Yorkshire Carnegie, he was a Yorkshire, you know, Academy products. We've had a lot of success, you know, in recent years. Joe Carpenter, another Yorkshire Academy products, but just never really, never really kicked on for sale. And at, you know, 22, 23 is, is presumably going to drop back down to the championship, you'd assume. Yeah, never really had the opportunity, but gone well for uh, gone well for Doncaster um, this season, and I think he'll end he'll end up back there. Uh, Elliot Gurley, another one, you know, a couple of first team reps from this year. You know, a bit of talk. He's obviously been out on loan as well. Um, were you surprised by this one? I, I was a bit surprised. Yeah, I was a bit. Um, I thought he might have been kept on for another year. He's had another great season at Coldy. Two really good seasons at Coldy. Feels like he was. Um, you know, actually starting to come through. I think you have to make some tough decisions, though. You know, at sort of 15, you've got two young players in that position in Luke James and, and Joe Carpenter who aren't going anywhere, you know. Um, and then, you know, you've kind of got the likes of maybe a Tom Curtis or, a, you know, obviously Sam James can play there. We know there's enough coverage in the squad, they obviously feel, rather than investing in him coming through. Charlie Wardle is another person who... Um, is a fly half coming through the age groups, but but might be more impactful as a fifteen, who's still on the books and and is quite talented. So I, I'm still surprised. I'm quite surprised. I thought he might end up as a twelve at this level, Elliot Gurley. I'm a bit surprised about that one. Um, so I don't know whether Coldy how do you have the money. Um, so we should see where he ends up. I was going to say this kind of feels again like an opportunity for a championship team to snap him up and, and you could definitely see a path for him to, to coming back into the premiership a little bit later down the line as well. Um, Sam Hill, not a surprise this one, one we've been talking a lot about off air I think recently. Yeah, just hasn't had that impact, not had the fitness. Um, real shame because he's the type of player that you think you could have built the side around but you know, that would have required him to be fit all the time. And uh, he just hasn't been. So I'd say that he's he's a signing that hasn't worked out. Yeah, I, I love that signing. I remember a couple of years ago when it when it was made and just um, yeah, just never really kind of kicked on. And at, at 29 as well, you know, we've seen Simon Hammersley 
you know, recently retire, you do wonder whether or not maybe he, he goes for one more contract or whether or not maybe maybe that's it. But, you know, in his time, when he was fit, very good player. And, uh, yeah, just showing it's never really worked out. Um, Ryan Mills, um, obviously mid-season signing from Wasps, I think it was, after they went under. Um, yeah, always, any, been, any, any always been a quality player, shown up well for sale. I think a few people would have liked him to, to stick around. But I, I just think with the you know the signing of uh, Sam Badlow that, 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 and the re-signing of uh, Manu just means that there's just there's no room there with Doherty back fit, Luke James on the books. Uh, another one where again you know at thirty you know it's a bit up in the air, but again could see him dropping down to the championship if he wanted to keep playing. He might and even go back to us. Exactly. Yep. Um, Matt Postlethwaite. Yeah. He's somebody who was always given everything. You know, he always got the impression that his effort raised him to the level. Um, and I think that's kept him in the club for a long time. But, you know, he's, he's sort of, what, 25, 26 now. And he, he just... 26. Not, yeah, he's not become enough of an option. You know, he struggled with injuries, I think, this year. But he's not become enough of an option. Like, we've always chosen to put somebody else in the... You know, move Jean-Luc up or whatever. And I think now he's 26... You know, I think that you know he's had he's had his run. I do yeah. think he'd be an excellent signing at the championship level. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, he has he has worked. You know, he's made fifty odd appearances for the club, um, and every single one of them has been blood, sweat, and tears. So I'm, I'm sad for him, but it's the right decision. Yep. Another interesting one: Kieran Wilkinson let go. Obviously, um, a couple of years ago, there's a bit of talk about you know was he ready to step into that number three number 10 jersey and it's just never really kind of happened so what were your thoughts on this one another shock or were you expecting it no, no not a shock i think if rob dupree had left the club or we hadn't signed george ford it'd be a different conversation but you know the fact of the matter is we've got you know two frontline tens and then we have tom curtis who's a very talented 10 um and so you had to choose between them i think i think it was the, it's the, the only decision that could be made what i would say is that Kieran Wilkinson, he might not have quite fulfilled the talent which he showed at the age groups. He got a very serious injury for Sale FC, which put him back a long way. His issue is around his goal kicking. You know, if he could average 80% plus, then he'd 100% be a very good player in the Premiership. Very good. Potentially more than very good. Um, but without that, it's not, you know, it's, 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 um, it's a bit of a punt. I mean, there, there is rumours that he's off to Leicester. So um, he isn't dropping into the championship. I always thought, you know, somewhere like Worcester, if Diamond had been there, would have snapped him up and he would have started and he would have transformed their team. You know, he he he, he still has the talent. Um, and ball in hand, you know, he's, he's a really beautiful player. He's quick as well. He's played really well this year when he's played for sale in the Premiership Cup, etc. But it's just a fact of life. He's had no opportunity. He has to, He has to move. He has to move if he's going to make it. He's not going to get the opportunities here. Even someone like Tom Curtis, you know, is getting to that stage where it's like, you know, for the level of talent and promise these guys have had versus the opportunity they've been given is ill-weighted. It's one of the few examples that I can think of under both Diamond and Sanderson where the level of talent in a young academy prospect hasn't been given a true opportunity to actually step into the first team. Um, most of the teams, most of the positions have had that, but at fly half, um, considering 
you know, the, the regard that these two, Wilkinson and Curtis, have been held at the England age groups right through under 20, etc., you know, that they just haven't had that haven't had that opportunity so I wish him all the best I, I don't think it's the last we've seen of him but if he's going to make it at the premiership but I think if he's going to make it at the highest level the premiership maybe beyond he has to sort out his goal kicking I think there's a really talented player there and I think he strikes me as a perfect um, low risk high reward player if you're a team like Wasps ironically or a team like Jersey or a team like Ealing you know who want to be kind of pushing top end championship next year? Yeah, I think he's a, I think he's a very good player, and I think the fact that he might be going to Leicester speaks volume about the fact that there is opportunities out there for for him. Um, final one before we get on to Jono, uh, Jason Woodward. Just again, another another one where you know a bit like Ryan Mills uh, or Don Barrow kind of came in, did a job, but surplus to requirements now. Yeah, uh, I think you know he only played one or two times for Sale. Um... Carpenter coming through, say, sort of changed the situation there quite significantly. Struggled with injury now for about three or four years, Jason Woodward. You know, at his peak playing for Bristol and what and Gloucester, he was a beautiful player. He really was. Um, but he, he's had issues now for, for about three years. So I, I think, you know, I think he might go back to New Zealand maybe. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe play in the comp there. But uh, or, or retire. Uh, but we, we, it's difficult to say. I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer that we've released him because he's he's not playing, he's not been fit. And then finally, just just a few minutes on John O'Ross, thirty-two years of age, um, ended up playing uh, seven seasons for Sale. Sorry, one, two, three, four. Sorry, six seasons for Sale. Um, obviously, former captain. Um, one of the probably more talismanic figures in the club, you know, very beloved by the fans, left it all on the pitch, you know, very nice guy off the pitch. I guess, James, the, the question here is, you know, what, what's the legacy of someone like John O'Ross's sale? Well, I think, I think he might go down as one of the greats of the club, honestly. Um, another one of those diamond signings where you just, you look back and just go, how diamond used to choose these players to persuade him to come here when he was smashing it in the top 14 for Stade Francais, he probably could have gone anywhere at that point. He managed to get him to come to sale to be captain. And the way he leads on the field is just extraordinary. No regard for his own safety whatsoever. Um, gives absolutely everything he's got. No surprise that it led to some concussion issues. And I think that's why he's ended up retiring. You know, I think you're at 32. The way he's playing at the moment, you'd say, well, he's got at least a year, probably two years left left in him at the highest level. I thought he might be leaving, but I thought he might go and finish his, finish his playing days, maybe in the in the Curry Cup um, or back in the URC, down in South Africa. He decided to retire, go back to the farm, look after his health while he still got it. And uh, I, I don't blame him. You know, he, he tried to play with a scrum, a scrum hat, um, you know, when he first came back from concussion, didn't like it, got rid of it. So I think he's probably been told he's probably one concussion away from you know, maybe doing some long-lasting damage to his brain. And so I think he's making an absolutely fantastic decision. And the way he's he's deploying himself on the field at the moment, I mean, it's just he's just the, the exquisite professional, um, you know, in everything that he does. You know, fully committed um, and giving everything he has. And as I said, the way he's led on and off the club, uh, on and off the field, has been fantastic. I, I question sometimes his management of referees. Uh, 
Um, I question sometimes his uh, ability to get yellow cards. Um, but um, a talismanic figure um, would go into battle and you'd follow him, wouldn't you? You just would. You know, what an amazing guy, really, honestly. And uh, if I'm, su- I'm surprised he's, he's not going to be staying involved in rugby at all, um, it sounds like. So just, you know, whatever he decides to do next, whether it is going back to his farm in Zimbabwe, you know, it's to, you know, go and have a great life and thank you for everything that you've done for Sail Sharks. I think my, my thoughts on, on Jono have changed quite a lot, actually, in the, you know, over the last year, a couple of years. And I think it probably speaks to the legacy I think he's going to leave at the club, which is players like Jono, players like Faf de Klerk, um, when they were signed back in 2016, it sort of heralded a bit of a new beginning for the club. You know, we, we'd have, we'd been having to sort of, you know, pick players up off the scrap heap. And like you said, you know, Diamond was finding his diamonds in the rough, all that kind of stuff. And, and John O'Ross was a major part of a staff Francais team that just won the Challenge Cup. And, you know, he was one of the first sort of, not big money players, but the first sort of significant investments in the team uh, under the new ownership. And I think the fact that, you know, six, seven years on, he's still part of the club. He's played 150-odd times for sale. He's been captain for most of the time he was he was there. You know, I think is is probably a testament to just how how significant the the club became to him as as well as uh, as as well as vice versa. And you know, I think look, his, his effectiveness did probably wane a little bit. You know, you, you mentioned it, you know, this has been his best season, you know, probably for two or three years. You know, when he first burst onto the scene for sale, he, he had a he had a really strong impact. I think maybe a couple of years down the line, teams had started to, you know, find him out a little bit. He wasn't as effective. You know, he's kind of okay, hits everything, carries everything. But, you know, when when you started to bring in players like Jean Luc Dupree and Dan Dupree who could do just a little bit more than that, you sort of, you sort of realise where his kind of his his value sort of uh lay as like a leader on the field. Um but I think it's just really interesting that, you know, we've got a player here who, you know, has has kind of came from France. South African born and has really become an integral part of the club. And look, I don't think he goes down in the sort of pantheon in the same way as, you know, Juan Martin Fernandez Lobe or Sebastian Chabelle or, or whoever else. But I think, you know, if Sale go on to a, a sustained run of success, you know, over the next sort of five, 10 years, we'll look back at those signings, you know, uh, of De Klerk and of Ross and a few others around that time as being, you know, what kind of marked our transition back into the big time because. You know, for for all the world class players that you had, like uh, like a De Klerk and a Van Rensburg, you needed players like John Ross, you know, to to do the hard yards, put the ball up your jumper, hit everything, and they will be a massive part of of that legacy of how the club has kind of transitioned over the last couple of years. So, all the best in retirement, Jono, and uh, you know, hopefully, you won't be a stranger at the AJ Bell, even if he does end up going back to the back to the farm. So. That's the pod for this week. A little bit of a poignant note to finish on, you know, uh, losing a losing a bit of a cult hero in in Jono. Um, but obviously, loads to get through. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to everyone for sending your three word reviews. And with any luck, we'll be back this time next week planning a, planning a trip to Twickenham. Thanks everybody, and uh, let's go sail on uh, on uh, Sunday. Mm-hmm.